0: Welcome to Lunch Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. This passage is written in what I would describe as the shadow of the temple. Meaning that it reflects upon the temple that was built under Solomon's time. This imagery of the stone, of the spiritual house, it brings us right back to that temple that Solomon built. So let me provide a little background for you on that temple and how it was used as we see through the course of Scripture. The temple was really prepared by King David. David wasn't going to be able to build it. But he puts the thing together kind of like an IKEA flat package. Everything's ready to go. Solomon, I've got it ready for you. The instructions are there. Just go pick it up and bring it, and everything will be put in place. So Solomon builds the temple. But almost immediately, this temple becomes a degraded prophet. For immediately after Solomon, and his son takes over, the kingdom splits. And this northern king, who is leading the ten tribes that have split off, he refuses to let the people go and worship at the temple. So he sets up high places, which will become their ruin. As they continue on, the temple becomes a political problem, and its supplies are pilfered off to invading kingdoms to keep them happy. It becomes a religious prop as the prophets continually condemn the people because while they will come and offer sacrifices to their God, their hearts are not following God. We're reminded of the prophecy that comes from Micah in chapter 6, verse 8. As he explains to the people. He says, "God has shown you a mortal what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God." Immediately before that command from Micah, we find this preface with questions about the sacrifices. Are you going to bring sacrifices to God? Is that what you're going to do?" Micah says, he says "What Why don't you just do the right thing? Love justice and mercy and walk humbly with your God. This temple, continuing on under the kings, comes a forgotten crop. For when the good King Josiah comes and begins to reign, he says, The temple's a mess. Let's clean this place up. And this temple, which is in disrepair, it's finally brought into proper use again. And amazingly enough, when they are cleaning the temple, they find the book of the law. The book of the law, the book of Moses. And they say, I think this is important. They didn't even know the book of the law was lost. They weren't looking for it. Didn't even have it. And didn't even know to go looking for it. Finally, the temple, not long after Josiah, comes a destroyed prophet, As an invading army comes and takes over Jerusalem, ending the kingdom of David, and the temple is brought to absolute destruction. With a measure of hope, the book of Ezra tells the rebuilding of the temple. There is this idea... God is at work with his people. God has not forgotten them. We move forward into the time of Jesus. And what do we find Jesus? As he enters the temple, he says, this isn't a place of worship. He says, this is what is to be a house of prayer for all nations. But instead, you've made it into a marketplace, a den of thieves. The temple, a place to serve the people, the followers of God, so that they can come and experience God, to be in God's presence. It worked a little bit. It worked at times, but overall, it has failed in its purpose. And in its failure, God has given an alternative, Jesus Christ. Because the temple was built around this idea that the people were to come into God's presence. And it was a shadow of things to come. Meaning it wasn't the final solution. It was just showing what the final solution would look like. And the final solution has come in Jesus Christ. And instead of a temple where we go to put ourselves into God's presence, Jesus Christ has come to us, and God's presence has been brought to us. This leads us right into our passage today here in the book of 1 Peter. The first thing that we are going to look at is the idea of living stones. Jesus, in this passage, is described as the living stone. And what we have today, what we call today, is an oxymoron. This is a literary device that is being used. And so an oxymoron is when you put two opposite words together to make a different idea. Now, the classic oxymoron is jumbo shrimp. Jumbo big, shrimp small. Big and small, you put them together, and jumbo shrimp. In this case, we're putting the words together: living stone. You see, stones have no life. That's what makes a stone a stone. It was never alive. Just a stone. It's not even dead, it's just a stone. Then we have this concept of life that is put onto. And what comes out of that imagery? of a living stone, it's that Jesus, both alive, but also everlasting. He transcends the time frame of life and is everlasting, eternal, that imagery of the stone. The passage reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we also are living stones. Jesus is the living stone, and we are a living stone. We're the living stones. And likewise, we have life, and we are everlasting. Let's read this passage together. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so we have um, this idea is that we, as I'm looking at, that is absolutely the wrong verse. Let me um, uh, read for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't have it here. Let me, let me read for you the verse. That's actually going to be the verse for the next section. We'll, we'll, we'll be there and ready. Um, I'm going to read to you from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I'll read that for us one more time. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So this stone comes with it, this imagery of endurance. It lasts. It does not degrade. It does not get taken away by the effects of time or elements. The image I have is that cabin in the wood. You think of you're driving along, middle of nowhere, and there's the cabin. And so often as you see that cabin, the effects of time have just brought it down to next to nothing. Perhaps fire has ravaged through. But what's always left on that cabin in the wood? It's always the chimney. It's always the chimney that's made of stone because stone endures. Which got me to thinking. Wood versus stone. Like, how, how long can these things survive? And so I thought, what's the oldest structure today that we have today that's made of each one of these elements? And honestly, I was a little surprised about the wood. I was a little surprised. Um, so the oldest wood structure that we have today dates back to 1,300 years ago. And there is a Buddhist temple in Japan that is made of wood. It was actually made of wood that was 2,000 years old when it was put together. And that has continued on. So I was like, that's impressive. But what about stone? Well, the oldest stone structure is the Bokeli Tepe, which is in Turkey, and they're not quite sure what it was used for. But that dates back to 11,000 years ago. That's 8.5 times longer than the wood. Because stone has an enduring nature to it, it continues on. And these stones that we are a part of, these living stones, through our belief in Jesus Christ, it forms us into a spiritual house. We are contributing to the spiritual house that God is constructing through Jesus Christ and through the followers of Jesus Christ. And that imagery of the spiritual house, it brings us right back to the temple, doesn't it? Because there was a spiritual house before but it was more of a physical house with a spiritual purpose. And that was the temple, somewhat effective. But this spiritual house will be a true meeting place with God. Unlike the temple, it is not a failed prop, but an everlasting home. It is the meeting place where Jesus Christ, And us are in equal standing before God, our Father. Our hope for today, that I hope brings you encouragement today, is this. Your work for God endures forever. The good that you do in following Jesus Christ in this world endures forever because it is part of the spiritual house that will not fall into ruin, that will not be misused, that will not be destroyed, that will not be forgotten. It is a spiritual house that indwells the presence of Jesus Christ, God our Father every kindness that you do, every bit of generosity, every bit of love that you have, whatever goodness flows out of you through the work of Jesus Christ within you, it contributes to an everlasting home. Alongside all of us, alongside our other brothers and sisters in Christ, alongside those who have come before us, Generations and generations before, alongside those who will come after us, however many hundreds or thousands of years into the future, our work lives on. One of the things about us as humans is that we strive to be remembered. We want our legacy to be known. Right there is that idea, that legacy. There's some part of us that continues on, that there'll be people after us who raise up our name with cheers. Be honest. Most of us, most of us, how long will we be remembered after we're gone? Two. Three generations? I think, that's, I think that's about right. I mean, you think now of people that you remember who have gone before you. How, how far do you go back? Maybe maybe grandparents? Great-grandparents? Maybe? Beyond that? Probably, probably not. You know, and you think as you gather with your closest family, and you remember the stories of the people who have gone before you, how, how long do those stories go? Two, three generations, then new stories come. And we're forgotten. We are forgotten. So, what do we do to be remembered? Well, the very human thing to do to be remembered is to make a granite monument. The reality is, hey, we can walk out of this church and I don't have to walk too far before I begin to see granite monuments so that we can remember people. And I'm thinking even on the apartment complex next door, you know, there's a big memorial right out front. But what do we do? What do we just walk past it, don't we? How often have you stopped there to reflect upon those names and those lives? And even if you did, you wouldn't know who they are. Oh, sure, see, we we want to be remembered till we build this memorial. And we always make it out of stone, don't we? Of course we make it out of stone because we know stone will last. No one says, I'm going to build a memorial out of wood because that's going to go away. Or you're like, this is going to really last. Then it just becomes a thing. A thing that other people walk past. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, do not need to rely upon granite stones to remember our work. Our work goes into the eternal spiritual house. Because we are living stones. Emphasis on the living. We are not dead. We are not forgotten. We are fully alive in the presence of God. Our work and our goodness lives on the generations that come past us—you know—they may not remember our name. They might not know the details of our life, but our love, our kindness, our mercy continues on in the lives that they share with others. They may challenge for you. Challenge for you as you see one of those granite memorials around you, I want you to remember that we contribute to the spiritual house. And eventually, those memorials, the people to whom they are, will be forgotten. But not us. But not because we are living stones. And when you see that stone, the nod, recognize then say, thankful, I'm a living stone. Let's look at this next section. We're going to look at the cornerstone. And in ancient days, the cornerstone was the very first building block of the construction project. And so they would set the cornerstone down, And then all the other stones would be based off of that stone in relationship to it. And so obviously with this pattern of building from this single stone, the cornerstone, if your cornerstone was flawed in some capacity, then that flaw would be passed on to every piece that you added to it. And likewise, if your cornerstone was perfect, then you had the capacity, as you added on, to continue in your construction project with the perfection, much as humanly possible, that you wanted to achieve. Which is to say the cornerstone was really important. And now we use that concept, that terminology, to think of something that is going to affect the whole structure. The cornerstone. If we get that one right, everything else will fall in a place, in the passage of scriptures, we find our cornerstone, Jesus, of course. Let's read this passage. This verse, actually, we read earlier. We're going to read it now because now it fits. Let's read this. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, this stone, the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. This. Passage, this idea of the cornerstone that has been rejected comes from Psalm 122. And Jesus quoted this passage in a parable that was about him the parable of the tenants. And as Jesus told this parable, he explained it as this A landowner, that'd be God, comes and rents a vineyard to His tenants. And it rents this vineyard, but these tenants refuse to give any fruit to the landowner. So the landowner, God, sends messengers, the prophets, and eventually his son, Jesus, to tell the tenants hey, hey, over. You have a purpose there. Your purpose is to provide fruit to me from these vineyards, now do so. But the tenants kill the messengers and kill the son. So the landowner says, well, I'm going to give that land to some new tenants so that they will actually serve. Jesus told this parable, saying that God was doing a new thing among them. And that whole form of worship that had revolved around the temple wasn't working. As Jesus said, that temple had become a marketplace instead of a place to meet the presence of God. There was a new way with that God. There was a new tenants for that land owner. In the midst of that, find this idea That this Jesus, as he's telling this parable, that the cornerstone has been rejected. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, been rejected. That is one of the things that we do find with Jesus. As he mentions this imagery, that Jesus is the one that indeed brings us into the presence of God. There is the of Jesus, or are rejecting. says before us, in what we This imagery of the cornerstone is used again by Peter in the book of Acts. And he quotes this verse out of Psalm 122 that is exactly quoted here that Jesus quoted before in the parable of the penis. And after Quoting that verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter declares this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ, the living cornerstone for building a spiritual house question I have for you is, what kind of house are you building? Are you building a spiritual house or a temporary house? And as you consider that question of what house you're building, I'm going to bring you back to a children's story. It's the story of the three pigs. Perhaps you're familiar with this story of the three pigs. It's the kind of thing that you might read to a preschooler. And the three pigs have all built different houses, haven't they? Straw, sticks, and bricks. And when the wolf comes to devour them, what do they find out? Find out that house is built of straw, houses built of sticks, are of no use. The only thing that will protect them, the house made of brick, the house of stone. It's the same for us, isn't it? In the world in which we live, we want to find ourselves in the house of stone. Not only are we find ourselves building a spiritual house that lasts forever, but we find ourselves in a house that can endure the monsters of this day, the monsters of our world. We will not be taken away. We will not be devoured. Because our hope is eternal. Our hope is today. Because we have a trust in Jesus Christ. And our trust in Jesus Christ says we do not fear. We are not scared. Whatever you can take from me, whatever you can pull from me, it's okay. I've got all I need because I'm in the presence. encouragement for us today. Follow Jesus Christ because as we are told in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. Finally, today we have the royal priesthood. As living stones, we are called to accept the message of Jesus Christ. And we are given a special status, a special identity, we are given a purpose. Let's look at this identity that we have. This comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read this together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You have an identity. There's four things that are listed there. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. That is who you are when you give your life to Jesus Christ. We become indeed the children of God. And we fulfill the purpose that the temple was meant all along. A place for God's children from all nations to gather the presence of God their Savior. It didn't happen in a place. It happened in a person. And in that person of Jesus Christ, we are the children of God, and we are a royal priesthood. Because you see, in that temple that was built under Solomon and then rebuilt later, Get into the most inner part, the holy of holies in the temple. There's just one person who could do it. One person who could enter into God's most precious, um, most precious place to be. Into God's most amazing presence. One person a year was allowed to enter. That Jesus' death the gate that blocked the way was ripped apart, figuratively showing that the presence of God was available to all. The presence of God to become children of God was given to all people, to all nations. Where once only single priests could enter, now you have become the royal priesthood. Entering into God's. As I close today, that is my reminder to you that you can enter into the very presence of God. For generations before Jesus Christ, it was limited to just one person the high priest. But now you, as living stones building a spiritual house, are part of the royal priesthood. Entering into God's presence. Let me close this out with prayer this morning. Thanks for listening to Lunch Pell Sermons. Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.